Thank you for being here with us today. I'm Pastor Brent Oakwin. Normally, I'm over at Faith East. Always a privilege to come to those to Faith Church West here. It's good to be with you this morning. Well, Faith Church family, I do recognize that I have a high priest, uh, Jesus Christ, to confess my sins to. This morning, though, I do want to confess to you, okay, for just a moment here. I want to confess a character defect growing up that took me away from significant meaning and purpose in my life as a teenager. Growing up, I was not a servant at all. As a result, I missed out on some significant life lessons, and I believe the area in which my lack of being a servant showed the most was in relationship to my dad and the pharmacy that he oversaw. I'm going to say something here. It sounds a little bit technical, and I certainly did not understand this as a teenager, but I missed out on opportunities to fulfill God's creation mandate of taking dominion over the earth, meaning thus harnessing the earth's resources and structuring them to be a blessing to humanity. And that's what my dad was doing in his particular occupation. But I wasn't coming alongside my dad and actually doing that. This month, August, marks the ninth year since my dad's death. When August comes around, I typically think of my dad, and I decided to put him into the sermon illustration this morning. Here are two pictures of my dad, the one on the left, uh, older black and white one. That's my dad in his studly prime right there, (laughs) him answering never-ending phone calls at the drugstore where he was taking prescription orders and filling them. The second one is a picture of my dad in his more seasoned years of life. I don't know, maybe that's what I'll look like when I get to be that age with, um, with my dad there. Also, as I was preparing for this, I did not remember this, but um, when I was preparing for this, it came to my attention again. 45 years ago, this month, when I was 10 years old, if you're doing the math, it means I'm 55 right now, but 45 years ago this month in 1978, Dad bought Earl Drug. That was a, Earl Drug was a community fixture in southwest Lawton, Oklahoma. I mean, if you just look at the picture on your left for just a moment, look at those cars. Um, Those cars are like ancient. So I don't know exactly when that picture was taken, probably about 1950s, somewhere in that area. But that particular building burnt down, and the new one, Earl Drug, on the right was built on the same corner. I can still remember the address, 331C Avenue, Lawton, Oklahoma, 73501. That was the address right there. Now, if you, if you used to even notice the street, uh, so it was at the corner of 4th Street and C Avenue. 4th Street. So this is in the heart of downtown Lawton, Oklahoma. 1st, 2nd, 3rd Street, A, B, C. Corner of 4th uh, Street and C Avenue. Earl Drug was a community fixture there. Now, when I was preparing for my dad's funeral nine years ago, and I was hearing from all of those that dad had served through Earl Drug, I realized how impactful my dad had been on others. I realized painfully so how I squandered many opportunities um, as I was my dad's delivery boy and stock boy to accomplish his mission. You see, the gospel had been working in my dad to create a heart for taking care of people in need. Earl Drug had a great reputation for customer care. 
<laughs> Earl Drug also had a reputation for some of the best burgers and french fries and sodas in Lawton, Oklahoma. Last week when I preached this message um, at Faith East, there were some folks that came up to me and said, uh, you, you're telling me that there was like hamburger joints in pharmacies back then? And I said, yes, I grew up in one. And I know many of you young people right today don't even remember that that was a thing back then. Okay, but you're older folks. Tim, is this true? So, uh, vaguely remember. So sorry to point you out as an older folk here, Tim, but it, it was true. Before there were five guys or smash burgers, there was Earl Drug. Okay. <laughs> Well, Dad was not content in serving people burgers and the best cherry limeades ever. Discouraged by what he observed among the patient care of ostomy and colostomy patients, he transformed Earl Drug into a leader in home health care products at that time. Ostomy and colostomy surgeries left individuals vulnerable and almost hopeless with part of their intestines hanging out of their bodies. Dad wanted to help return some of their dignity, so he transformed the back end of the store from a hamburger joint into a place where he could personally coach those patients in dealing with their conditions and providing them with health care products. Earl Drug was the first of his kind in southwest Oklahoma. He also led the pharmaceutical stores in Oklahoma to computerize their prescription process. I recognize that some of you here do not even remember a day, a day that existed without computers. I recognize that. But um, they used to do all of this by hand in filling prescriptions. Now, now they don't. But I remember the first large washing machine-sized computer, which my dad spent hours fixing many times when it went on the blink. Um, you think we have technology problems today. My dad spent hours fixing that um, big old computer. And here's where my confession comes in. From the moment I could drive, I worked five days a week after school from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. On after school. And I worked all day on Saturdays as well. I was my dad's delivery boy and his stock boy. And I certainly did my delivery and stock boy job, but here's where I did not serve my dad well. I certainly did not take interest in asking my dad about how I could help him in his healthcare business. I mean, here's what would typically happen. 6.30 came around on those afternoons and I would be done with my deliveries and I'd be done with my stock boy job and vacuuming the drugstore. And I would just kind of launch myself up to the front of the store where there's all kinds of magazines that I would, I would just read magazine for the last part of my day. And it would always drive me crazy when a little old lady called at like 6.50 p.m. right before I was supposed to get off for work and they would want me to the little old lady had the gall to ask me to come deliver Russell Stover chocolates to her breaking me from my magazine reading can you imagine that that's where my heart was and my heart was lamenting that my dad basically took out his hamburger joint and cherry lime made so that he could serve people with these home health care products that I did not fully understand I didn't ask my dad how I could come alongside him to learn all aspects of his business to help him to accomplish the larger mission of serving people. When I learned how influential my dad was when I was doing his funeral, I thought of the business ministry that I oversee on your behalf here at Faith Church. I oversee Faith Bible Seminary. 
I, had, I wished at that moment in time I had learned more lessons about finance, about accounting, about management, about marketing, and about customer care. But because I was too busy reading magazines, okay, complaining about little old ladies ordering chocolates at the last moment, um, I did not learn what I probably could have. You know, furthermore, I was reflecting um, upon all of the ways that many volunteers, many servants come alongside here at Faith Church and Faith Bible Seminary to help accomplish the larger mission. It reminds me of this. Thomas Howard in the book The Night Far Spent states this, and, and I've used this quote before with you. You've probably heard it before, at least from me. I'm going to use it today, and you can probably count on it, me using it again in the future. Thomas Howard in his book The Night Far Spent says this, the choreography of heaven, okay, the dance of heaven, the way that the universe operates as God intended it for its most harmonious way to function, the choreography of heaven is my life for yours. My life for yours. Okay? God himself and the conscious beings that he created, I'm not talking about animals, are to operate by that principle, my life for yours, my time for you, my strength for you, my resources for you. And when we do, it's a beautiful dance that makes this world just stunningly beautiful. And this may surprise you when I say this way, but the overall disposition of heaven where God dwells exists to serve humanity. You think, well, we exist to serve God. I get it, I get it, but the overall disposition of heaven where God dwells is marshalling the resources of heaven to serve humanity. You say, Brent, I'm not sure about that. Okay, well, just hang on for just a second. Jesus, show me your glory. What is the glory of Jesus? Turn my eyes upon you. We'll get there in just a moment. In my teen years, I certainly did not understand the choreography of heaven. I manifested the choreography of hell, my life for me. In my video games, after, I, you know, after work, I would typically go home and play my video games. You say, Brent, did they have video games back then? Anybody heard of a Commodore 64? <laughs> yeah, a few of you maybe. 64K of memory in that Commodore, 64K. You have like 64 trillion gigabytes right now on your computer, whatever. My life for me, my video games. Living that way, my life for me, lives us, leads us to a lonely, isolated position at the top of our kingdom of one. If in my teen years I would have offered more of my life for the sake of my dad being a servant, I could have helped him achieve possible even greater things than he did for the benefit of Southwest Oklahoma community. With that in mind, please turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which is on page 126 in the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. This summer we've been talking about hopeful, fruitful service as a part of our series on hope for everyday life. Um, the first part of the summer we have focused on fruitful character from studying the character characteristics there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now we've pivoted in the second half of the summer to a discussion of the spiritual gifts. This morning we are studying finding hope in the Spirit's gift of serving. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, hear the word of God as I read it. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Context, a little bit of context. Romans chapters 1 through 12 was all about, here's what it was all about. God, through Jesus Christ, giving his life for you. The gospel message, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. The beauty of the gospel and the choreography of heaven, my life for you. And now, in view of God's mercies, here's what you do. You present your body to the Lord, my life for you, God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, don't be conformed to the world which has as its choreography my life for me, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Meaning this in the terms that we've been talking about. My life for me. The world exists to serve me. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercising them accordingly. My life for you, the choreography of heaven. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if serving, this is our term today, if serving in a serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with great cheerfulness. Here's how we're going to structure our time today, answering two questions. Number one, what is the gift of service? And number two, what power transforms us to be those kinds of servants? My life for you. So number one, what is the gift of serving? Here is the definition of the word. Um, Diakonia, diakonia. Say diakonia. Okay? Not that that means a whole lot to you right now, but... The meaning of the word is rendering of specific assistance, aid, support, administrative function, service as an attendant, aid and assistance. Anybody ever say, when I grow up, I want to be an assistant. Anybody ever say that? Sounds exciting, doesn't it? You all aspire to be an aid or an assistant somewhere. Where's the glory? Where's the prestige? Where's the the limelight? None of this sounds exciting until the day you need an assistant and a helper to come alongside of you. Oh, my goodness. And then you'll say, there's nothing more glorious than a helper for me. Diakonia. Okay, Faith Church, what does that sound like in terms of, in an English word, diakonia? What does that sound like? I hear it. You got it exactly right. That is the, the role of deacon. The office of deacon is built upon the concept of serving, rendering specific aid, namely to the body of Christ. Many scholars understand that that gift of helps in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 refers to the same thing, the gift of service. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gift of healings, helps right there. Oh, the beauty of somebody who comes along and helps you. Now, let's kind of flesh this out by some examples here in just a moment. I'm starting with the origin of the office of deacon. 
you know, anything that is new, when it's new, when something is new, it's exciting, okay? And, and it's exciting until there are problems with the newness or the, the new thing that came along and you begin to see problems. You've heard of the old cliche, the honeymoon is over. So it's exciting to be married and then the honeymoon is over and when you start kind of dealing with the problems, well, the newly found early church was exciting for a while until there were problems. Some of the Christian church widows there in the new early church, and they were poor, okay? and they were racially different than the Jewish widows. They were being overlooked in the distribution of food. So here's where we see the first institution of the deacon role So the twelve, the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. There's our word. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, for whom we may put in charge of this task, so that the disciples could continue to study the word of God and minister the word of God to the people. So these deacons came alongside to serve in this capacity to further the greater mission of the church. Second example, and all of the rest of the examples will be related to the Apostle Paul and those coming alongside him. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered. There's our word again. Okay? Theoconia, serving. Two of those who served him, the names, and you may know if you heard of these through Scripture, Timothy and Erastus. Um, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Timothy and Erastus, throughout Scriptures, are seen to be Paul's assistants through whom Paul can count on these two men to, and to trust them to render aid when he has to go somewhere else, he leaves these two men in a position of helping the body of Christ there. A third example also with Paul. Okay, in the book of Philemon, a little context here. Philemon was a slave owner, a Christian slave owner, And the moment I say slave owner, I know our minds go to all kinds of things that are problematic. This is not the time in this sermon to discuss the differences between ancient slavery and what we know to be slavery here in America that has a sordid history. So they were just different in certain ways, similar in some ways, but Philemon was a Christian slave owner. He had a slave called Onesimus that ran away. And Onesimus ended up in the city of Rome where Paul was in prison. I don't know how this happened, but Onesimus encountered Paul. Paul does what he does, shares the gospel, and Onesimus became a Christian. Here's what Paul writes to the slave owner Philemon. I formally, um, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment who formerly was useless to you. Okay? Think of Brent and his father right there. Brent was not a great servant to his father in the Earl drugstore, who was formerly useless to you. But now Onesimus is useful both to you and me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, I'm sending you my very 
um, heart. This is an amazing statement. Something had radically changed Onesimus, the gospel. And Paul says, now Onesimus is like my very own heart, and I'm sending him to you, whom I, I wish to keep him with me, so that on your behalf he might serve me. There's a service rendering aid or assistance to me in my imprisonment for the gospel, but he's sending him back. Okay? A fourth example also here is um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Paul says this, Let all that you do be done in love. And I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to service for the saints. Okay, Stephanus and his household, they have a particular disposition, devoting themselves to the service of the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps, sending them there to helps in the work of the labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Caicos because they have supplied what was lacking on your part for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, these men who work behind the scenes, will you acknowledge them? Notice these individuals that came alongside Paul when he was in need and provided refreshment. And notice Paul's exhortation. Recognize these men. Point them out. They're working behind the scenes. I'm always in front of you. You know who I am. I'm in the limelight. But these men you may not see as much, but they're helping me. Let's make a few general observations here, possibly about the gift of service. Okay? That's what we're talking about. So the gift of service involves the following three things, seemingly. Okay, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but if I can kind of distill the gift of service into a few things, I think these three things are it. The gift of service involves supporting others in the church to promote the accomplishment of the bigger mission. Okay? Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, and he had a host of servants behind him. An inclination to regularly meet various needs, often very tangible needs, like the deacon office was instituted for in regard to coming alongside and, and people need to eat. Okay? So even serving tables like that. And number three, a satisfaction. I don't have to be in the limelight. I don't have to get all the kudos. Satisfaction to work behind the scenes without accolades and personal gain. As you think about the faith church body, Okay, so Faith Church. So Faith Church, east, west, north, we're one church in three locations. Oh my goodness, we could not do all that we do without a host of people manifesting this kind of spirit and demeanor. Okay. And as you think about Faith Church and its body, do certain people come to mind who fit this description? And here's another question then, are you acknowledging them on a regular basis and thanking them? For all that they do. But you say, Brent, they're just serving behind the scenes. Sometimes what they do is not that important. Oh, the Apostle Paul would differ with you on that. And he actually inscripturates it when he says this. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, the ones behind the scenes where we don't think it's as important, the weaker ones are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more. Say more. More abundant honor. And on our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. 
those of the past, like pastors, we're always up here. You always see us. Sometimes you thank us. But there's people behind the scenes. How often have you thanked the worship team? How often have you thanked the sound people, James back there, for what they do? God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the members which lack, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. On these we bestow more abundant honor. Why? Oh, friends, this is the beautiful choreography of heaven. They're serving, they're assisting, they're rendering aid. My life for yours, the choreography of heaven. Now, let's broaden this out just a bit, okay, just a bit, because the word diakonia can't apply to the spiritual gift of service, but all of the gifts are to be used in this way. All of the gifts. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it, and there's our word, serving one another. So, you cannot say this this morning. Okay, Brent, I got you. I don't have the gift of serving, so I can just um, get on my iPhone right now and not think about anything else except my video games. Okay? Not at all. Every believer that God has gifted, every believer that God has gifted, and who is that? Who is that? Every believer, all, of the, all the believers have a gift. Every believer that God has gifted is to engage in using their gifts in the choreography of heaven, serving my life for yours. If you are born again from heaven, then you should, you should dance the choreography of heaven. Um, if you are born again from heaven, rescued from being the way of this earth. This is what God has called us to. You say, Brent, this is not natural. I understand. It is supernatural. And that's why, number two, answering the question, what power transforms us from the choreography of hell, my life for me, to the choreography of heaven, my life for you? Turn to a second passage this morning. Okay, Luke chapter 22, verses 15 through 29. Luke 22, verses 15 through 29 on page 66 in the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. This passage occurs on the night before Jesus' death on the cross. A couple of years ago, we studied the Gospel of John, and I love studying that. I learned so much. I carry some of, some of my own study in the Gospel of John when I preached it a couple of years ago with me on a regular basis. This is one of those passages um, this is a parallel passage to John 13 where Jesus Christ washes the disciples' feet as an indication, as a symbol, as a picture for what he's going to do on the next day when he is crucified. So this passage occurs on the night before Jesus' death on the cross. The cross is where the choreography of heaven is most vividly displayed, my life for yours. And in this particular passage, in contrast to John 13, the word diakonia, service, occurs three times. So let's read Luke 22, starting in verse 15. And he, Jesus, said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I say to you that I shall never eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he had said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken the bread, say bread. Okay. Okay. And given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, my life for yours. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup. Say cup. Okay. His blood. The wine indicating the blood. After they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus then begins to say that one of his disciples will betray him. The disciples cannot imagine that, so they start arguing over who is the greatest. After Jesus Christ just says, my life for yours, <laughs> the disciples start saying, my life for me. Verse 24. And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, guys, do you not understand? The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Push pause, pause right there, benefactor. A benefactor, by definition. A benefactor is somebody who benefits you. <laughs> okay? It's being used in a sarcastic way right here. Those who lord it over you are called benefactors. That's the term that they incurred back then, the elites, the powerful, the upper class, the high class are supposed to exist to serve the, yo- the, yo- the lower class, to provide benefit for them. But instead, they are ultimately my life for me, and they only benefit themselves. Okay? So this term is being used in a sarcastic way among the culture. Those elite out there, they're the benefactors, but they benefit nobody but themselves. Okay? The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Verse 26. Oh, disciples, you're arguing about who is the greatest, my life for me. It should not be this way among you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like, there's our word, the servants, the assistant, the one who is coming alongside. Jesus goes on to explain and ask the disciples in the world, okay, when you look out there, so look out there, look at the world. Who is the greater one? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? The answer, obviously, okay, those who feast at the tables, okay, those are the greatest ones. They have the royal dinners. They have the great feasts, and they have servants to serve them. So the ones who are at the table are the greatest, and that's what Christ acknowledges that. Is not the one who reclines at the table the greatest one? But I, but I. Okay, where's Christ from? Heaven or earth? Where is Christ from? Heaven or earth? Say heaven. But I, who is greater and from heaven, am among you as one who serves. And you are those who have stood by me in trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's look briefly in the time that we have left at the three. At the, I said to you in the beginning, the resources of heaven exist to serve mankind. Here it is. Show me your glory. What is that glory? 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Are you ready for the glory? Are you ready, Faith Church? Say Wes. Not Wes. Say yes. (laughs) All right. The resource of heaven. Jesus creates a new community of servants, a new covenant family. There is an insight here that is easy to miss in the disciples' celebration of the Passover feast here. Uh, when I was listening to a sermon by the late Tim Keller, he pointed this out, and I'm, I'm taking it with me now. <laughs> okay? On holidays, with whom do you feast? On holidays, with whom do you feast? This is pretty obvious, right? On holidays, with whom do you feast? Say it. Families. Okay. The Jewish holiday of Passover meal was no different. From the time the Passover meal was established, way back in the ancient times, it was to be celebrated in family units. In this case, Jesus Christ pulls the disciples away from their family, and it's a unique situation. We have no record in Scripture of any of the disciples, spouses, or children present at this meal on that night. Can you imagine... Sometimes there are paintings. I can't remember the guy who painted the, the famous The Last Supper. Was that Da Vinci? Does anybody remember? Leonardo Da Vinci. Okay. Your age is serving you well there, Tim. Okay. <laughs> it hasn't served me well. Can, do you, is there a picture of Peter trying to, um, trying to appease a little toddler in that Leonardo Da Vinci uh, Last Supper portrait? Is there a picture of a toddler there? Say no. Is there a picture of like um, John trying to quiet or get his little three-year-old to eat bitter herbs from the Passover meal? Is that on the picture? No. So, significance. When Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Okay. And this cup which is poured out a new covenant, something new. And I have granted that you may eat and drink at my table. This is astounding. What is all this indicating? Christ is creating a new community of servants, a new covenant family. He's setting up a new type of people. The majestic, glorious God has invited us into his family, into his kingdom. So imagine for just a moment, you're invited into the most majestic, kingly family of all time. And we have a hard time imagining that. We can't imagine being invited to the White House or the first family. We can't imagine being invited into the British royal family at Buckingham Palace. We can't imagine these things. Royalty, majesty doesn't do this. It doesn't come down and invite the paupers and the poor and the lowly into their family. Benefactors lord it over the peasants. They don't invite them to dine at the family meal. They require the servants to serve them. (laughs) Oh my goodness, this is an amazing thing. The resources of heaven, namely Jesus Christ, singular, came down And with these 12 uneducated and untrained disciples, the creator, royal king of the universe, said, you are my family now. What? (laughs) Royalty doesn't do that. In this case, it did. Furthermore, when you are part of a family, 
You tend to take on the characteristics of the family. I've been a pastor here now for 26 years. Those long-term church members kind of know my quirks and know my characteristics. And now you're seeing that in my son, Josh, who works as a worship pastor. My daughter, Karis, who also serves here in the church as well. And she's on staff as an administrative assistant. I help her. And sometimes I hear the church family saying this. Josh has characteristics like you, Brent. Or Karis has characteristics like Janet. So the family members take on characteristics of um, their parents, Jesus Christ, okay, creating a new family. And that is a sh- creating a new mindset among the family as well. The resource of heaven, Jesus coming down, molding a new mindset of service, my life for yours. Let me develop this for just a moment. The Passover meal in Jewish history, always featured as part of its main course. Say main course. The Passover lamb. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the meaning of it. If you remember in the book of Exodus, it's okay if you don't. If you're new to the scriptures, it's okay if you don't know what I'm about to say. I'm just glad you're here. But if you remember in the book of Exodus, a lamb had to be slaughtered and its blood placed on the door of the house. This was so that the death angel that God was sending would pass over the family and not kill the firstborn. This was on the night when God was moving against his people's oppressors to rescue them from Egypt. If you wanted to be saved on that night and your firstborn to be saved, if you were Egyptian or Jew, it did not matter the race or the ethnicity. If you were Egyptian or Jew, you had to take shelter under the blood of the Passover lamb. Now, I had you repeat after me a few words. Bread. Did Jesus Christ mention the bread? Say yes. Did he mention the cup? Where is the lamb? The main course. Where is the lamb? Tell me where the lamb is. You're standing right in front of him. But, to symbolize it, He reaches for the bread. He says, this is my body which is given for you. My life for yours. He reaches for the cup of wine. This is my blood. Pour it out. Say pour it out. My life for yours. In order to bring you into this family that's going to have a new mindset different from the world, a new community, I, Jesus, greater than you from heaven, must go first. I came down from heaven to dance the choreography of heaven, my life for yours. And in this way, the glory of heaven, the prime resource of heaven, has come down to come alongside humanity. Heaven come down its resource to serve humanity, to meet your greatest need. I am your servant, Jesus says. And in so doing that, okay, The resource of heaven, Jesus, transforms the glory of service. You know, I started this with the definition of service, and it doesn't sound exciting. It sounds boring. Nobody ever says, I want to grow up and be an administrative assistant. Nobody ever says that, but you should. (laughs) Heaven came down to do precisely that for humanity. I, Jesus Christ, the one who is greater, has come down from heaven, and among you is the one who... Serves my life for yours.
Friends, think with me on this. What is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Show me your glory. Is it his majestic, brilliant splendor as, I don't know, a gigawatt light bulb lighting up the entire room? Is that his glory? Is it his wisdom to know all things? It is, is it his stupendous power to control all things? Is it his ability to spin galaxies in his hands? Is that his glory? Show me your glory. And God says, here is my glory. Jesus Christ who serves. Jesus Christ who is heaven's resource that has come down to man to assist man in his greatest problem, alienation from God because of our own sin. And Jesus Christ did not simply come and say, okay, you're pardoned and go your way. He says, you're pardoned and come and be my family. He didn't just say go. He says, come. Jesus Christ, dancing the choreography of heaven, my life for yours has exchanged these things. His humiliation for our exaltation, his aloneness on the cross for you to be part of a community, to never be alone. His being crushed so that you could be made whole. His being a man of sorrow so that you could have eternal joy. His righteousness for our sin. His service, his administrative assisting function has healed those who have trusted in him. This is service. This is glory. This is love. And when you and I get this and experience this, it binds us into a community of servants of my life for yours. Transforming God's people into a different kind of a people, a counter-cultural community that values and exalts and lives out service, my life for yours. And that kind of a community brings hope to a world that's living and immersed in my life for me, the choreography of hell. Now, I could preach more on describing the gift of service, but number one, we're out of time. And number two, I'm going to incarnate it for you with a testimony. I know I'm over time just a little bit, but there's a four-minute testimony. I believe Mike and Kim Stefanik have a gift of service. They're sitting right back here. And um, I notice all that they do many times, and there's a host of folks like this around Faith Church, so they're representative of the gift of service. But um, let's let Mike and Kim incarnate service through their testimony. So listen to this. Good morning. Psalm 102a says, To serve the Lord with gladness. I am Mike Stefanik. I am Kim Stefanik, and we want to share with you this morning about our passion for serving others. I serve as a deacon and lead the men's prayer breakfast cooking team when Men of Faith takes place at the North End Community Center. I serve in the mentor ministry and the nursery, and together we serve hospitality dinners at the Viers. Which is also part dinner for us, too, at the Viers. We also serve at Faith West VBS coordinators, Living Nativity Servants refreshment team, and the Children's Sunday School at 930. A lot of what we do is serving behind the scenes to facilitate the overarching ministry goals of the church's evangelism and discipleship. For example, cooking for the men of faith breakfast enables me to make sure that the men have a full stomach 
so that they can then settle in for the greater spiritual feast of learning how to be God's kind of man. And as another example, for many of the frontline servants to share the gospel with the kids during VBS, someone has to do all the behind-the-scenes coordination. We enjoy doing that. When we help with the hospitality dinners at the Vyers, we serve with the preparation and cleanup of the meals in hopes that others may focus on building significant relationships. We are okay most of the time serving behind the scenes without being noticed, but Pastor Oakwin noticed us and asked us to now be in the spotlight speaking to you about the gift of service. On the day that each of us came to know Christ, God did not send down from heaven a spiritual birth certificate with our names on it and a label that said, Kim and Mike have the spiritual gift of service. The more we heard, study God's word, and attempted to grow in Christ's likeness, we simply gravitated to more and more service out of obedience. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Before Christ, I was always more interested in what others could do for me. I was definitely serving, but only myself. This hard attitude can still happen, so we need to stay on guard. I was an only child and by nature very self-centered. I need to be super mindful that all gifts come from God and I am to steward them for His glory and not mine. As we began serving, it was wherever there was a need. We especially enjoyed serving together as husband and wife. It helps us grow together in Christ. Together as we face the needs, we seek to rely on God, and together our trust in Him grows. The many service opportunities drive us to spend time in prayer together, asking how we can better meet needs. And there are always so many opportunities to praise the Lord, and together we seek to be thankful for the fruit we see. This brings our heart closer to Him. Even though we serve a lot behind the scenes, Serving helps build community. We make friends and get to know folks we would not have another opportunity to otherwise. It is an honor, privilege, and humbling to see God's people come together. We are just two of many servants. We have always appreciated that about faith, something not to take for granted. As we serve, we learn to put others first and love through actions, not just words. This is the way that Christ has modeled. Serving helps us grow in love, humility, and faithfulness in the Spirit. It brings great joy to our lives, and hopefully that is reflected in how we serve. We have come to know the heart of Christ better as we serve the needs of others. Adopting His mindset, the least shall be the greatest, and the greatest of you shall be your servant. And John 3.30 says, He must increase, I must decrease. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' service cost his life. I believe we're getting off easy. Doing his will for his glory brings a great satisfaction of knowing it pleases him. Mike and Kim, thank you for your testimony. And, uh, you know, my dad sought to give his life for others in serving in the particular way of his occupation with his pharmacy. As a teen, if I had had the mindset of the choreography of heaven, my life or yours, Dad. Perhaps I could have helped him to achieve his mission in a greater way, or even the mission of Faith Bible Seminary in a greater way if I learned some of those things from my dad at an earlier age. Imagine, and it's not hard to imagine around here, imagine a family of servants, my life for yours, and how that would transform our community and accomplish the mission of God in such a marvelous way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. 
choreography of heaven, the resources of heaven come down to serve us, his life for ours. And Father, will you impress that reality in our DNA, in our spiritual DNA, so that it transforms every aspect of our being and that we become the children of God living out that as well. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.